Welcome, everybody, to the American Shoreline Podcast. My name is Peter Ravel. I'm the co-host of this show. And I'm Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host of the show. Uh, It is Martin Luther King Day, Tyler, a very special day in American history to uh, acknowledge and uh, recognize the contributions of a great American, Dr. Martin Luther King, who worked so damn hard to make this a better country. Sure did. And uh, of course, as we celebrate his legacy and his life uh, today, we thought it'd be appropriate to take a couple minutes and uh, think about his legacy on the American shoreline, uh, which we don't often do, but no. uh, boy, he sure has one. But before we get into that, let's take a quick break and thank our sponsors. Yes, and uh, we are very happy uh, to have three sponsors uh, going into 2019 for the American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today. Uh, DuneDoctors.com out of Pensacola, Florida, great company, Frederic Barrasset for Dune Restoration Native Shoreline Management Practices for all you property owners and condo administrators and uh, uh, folks out there who are trying to put dunes back in place to protect your properties. Dune Doctors, Pensacola, Florida, LJA Engineering, uh, their coastal practice here in Austin, Texas, offices up and down the Gulf Coast of the United States. Very solid, very smart engineering firm for those of you in local governments, ports and waterways management, LJA Engineering, LJA.com. And our good friends out in Wilmington, North Carolina, TI Coastal Services, serving the area around Wilmington, Treasure, uh, uh, Topsail Island, and other parts of the Atlantic seaboard. Another very fine coastal engineering firm waterway firm great group ticoastal.com you know uh when we when we think about martin luther king uh we often uh of course we think of that famous dc march and we we know his many of his speeches and his letters and um but i found it really interesting today i, I woke up and i did a little bit of research about his his legacy on the shoreline and um i think what we have to realize is that throughout most of the United States and not just the South. I think it's important to realize that in California, up in uh, New Jersey, uh, black people and white people were effectively segregated on the shoreline. And uh, there were black beaches and there were white beaches. And um, during the 60s, during uh, the civil rights movement, these beaches became a venue for the for the movement and um, there were a number of clashes and violent clashes there and uh, it was actually shocking to to see this this is a, an aspect of the American shoreline that uh, we don't think about very often but on MLK day this is this is a day that that we have set aside as a country to to take a moment and reflect back on our history uh, with race and and tolerance and um i think the 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 good news is we have come a long way thanks to the work of people like martin luther king and and other um, civil rights leaders and and frankly just rank and file people that got got behind the movement but boy it was uh it was shocking to see footage actual footage from the 60s in saint augustine florida of uh, blacks and whites clashing, police breaking out the the billy clubs, and uh, 
you know, this happened on the sandy beaches of America, folks. Yeah. And um, just to start the show off, let's let's reflect a little bit on that. And whenever we, you know, one of the the great uh, takeaways of history, of course, is that it rhymes. So when we look at the news and we look at what's happening on the shoreline today, uh, and we see public-private property disputes and who can be on the beach and, oh, boy, this beach is getting privatized or, th- or this beach over here is localized and if you're not from that area, you shouldn't use it. It'll be, you know, this is an extension of those same tribal uh, uh, emotions and, and, you know, this is part of... We're, yeah. we're still part of... We're still, uh, we're still fighting these battles and... Um, it's just appropriate on Martin Luther King Jr. Day to reflect back and and realize that uh, the American shoreline was a was a racially divided place. It was, and and uh, public spaces. You know, one of the great discussions in the civil rights movement, among many, in the claiming of rights for all Americans, regardless of color, uh, is about the public space. It's what the it's 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 what the the bus system discussion was about where can you be in the public space on a bus? Where can you be in a public space in a hotel? The accommodations fights and the green laws that were in place or the green books where if you were an African-American traveling around America, there were places you could eat and places you could stay and tons of places where you couldn't. That is, it was no different on the American shoreline, which is a popular uh, public space and our character as a country and our ethics as a country played out on those shorelines and the difficult racial history of this country was evident and clear in the public spaces along the shoreline it's really something I hadn't thought about I've, I've come across a few times but really didn't know the depth of this contentious space uh, during the civil rights era and uh, you know why should we be surprised this is what our country went through uh, the Americans who worked their asses off to become full Americans uh, were are are struggling and were struggling in every public sphere for their rights and and their chance to live as free Americans. And uh, you know the shoreline wasn't any different. And uh, well, it, and 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 as you say, the public space, whether it's at a cafe or uh, uh, the sidewalk or the bus, uh, the beach was a uh, a, a place where people would go, as we do today, in the in the '60s during the civil rights movement, uh, the beach was a symbolic place of recreation and freedom, where uh, the American people would go to recreate and clear their minds of of the work and all the all the stuff that that yeah. we deal with, all the stressful yeah. parts of life, and uh, of course. It, it kind of sours it if you show up and there's a sign on the entryway of the beach that says blacks. Um, but that's the way it was yeah. uh, in parts of the country. In yeah. other parts of the country, Not there was allowed. no yeah. sign. It was just understood. Yeah. And um, that's uh, I'm not going to try to weigh out which one's worse. <laughs> They're both pretty bad. Yeah. Um, and well, anyway, we wanted to start this this show off today and uh, take a moment to reflect uh, that's what this day is all about, and uh, of course, I think it's—I think we can celebrate that we go through these things. This is something that I'm personally proud of that that we live in a country that strives to improve, uh, and I think we have more work to do. and And next year on MLK Day, uh, 
we'll do the same thing. And and yeah, I'd like to have a historian on and talk to absolutely. us about the history of race on the American shoreline. Um, you know, not to go too much uh, into the subject because I'm not as uh, as studied and well versed in the topic, but I did visit Edisto Island uh, last year in the springtime, which is yeah. which is on the South Carolina coast and was a historically African American island and was actually an island settled by freed slaves right after the civil war the plantation owners left the island the the uh, slave community took over the island as free people and occupied it it is an island that is going through tremendous transition now as uh, coastal property becomes more valuable and the tax res- tax values are raised and they're pricing the historic community out it's 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 there's a there's remnants of these deeply cultural places where African Americans have been on the American shoreline in in many places and uh, you know it's just there's so much to know and and what I love about the American shoreline is as a space it is uh, so much happens along the American shoreline that you can you can find illustrations of all kinds of important social and economic issues being played out in this sphere and there's uh there's i don't know there's it, it it's it's instructive it is and uh it's it's why uh telling that story and and when we tell the story of the american shoreline it it has to include these these human and cultural elements because that's you know that th- that captures why we care about these spaces so much and what they mean to us yeah and uh, the, in that meaning, we, we discover that the American shoreline is, is a space that is coveted by all people uh, and that in our history, not all people had equal access to it. Not and at all. Um, that's a theme that, that resonates today. And uh, it's a theme that we cover all the time, not always under the umbrella of racial injustice, but certainly... Um, under the umbrella of uh, access and public access. So this is all to say that uh, on this MLK Day here at ASPN and CNT, uh, we will be reflecting on the life and legacy of, of Martin Luther King and his legacy and the civil rights movement's legacy on the American shoreline. Yeah. Well, uh, let's, let's turn our attention, to, Peter, to uh, some of our plans here for ASPN. We've got some some content coming up that we want to talk to you about, including a brand new show. We get, we just entered into an agreement uh, to bring a new show onto the network. This is really cool. The show is called Delta Dispatches. Now, our listeners will remember that back, oh goodness, a couple months ago, Peter, you were, you were on the show and you were saying how important it was for us to talk about Louisiana because everything is happening there. Yeah. This show, Delta Dispatches, is out of New Orleans. Uh, it's uh, hosted by Simone Malaz and Jockey Bear. And it's actually a radio program there in, uh, in, in New, New Orleans. Orleans. Yeah, a weekly radio show in New Orleans. It is. And we will be now airing this show on the American Shoreline Podcast Network, and we are thrilled to yeah. welcome them aboard. Well, uh, Jacques Hebert and Simone have uh, been uh, covering 
the restoration and the condition of the Mississippi River Delta now for, I think they're probably on about their 80th show. They've been talking about this for a long time. The uh, Delta Dispatches is is put out by the, the the Restore the Mississippi River Delta Organization. Right. Which is a great group. It's a it's a consortium of the Environmental Defense Fund and the National Wildlife Federation. Uh, it includes Audubon, Audubon, the Lake Pontchartrain. That's right, the Lake Pontchartrain Basin Fa- Foundation, Foundation and the Coalition to Restore Coastal Louisiana. Yeah, and so these groups have gotten together and are working very hard, like so many people are in Louisiana, on the condition of the Mississippi River and particularly the Mississippi River Delta and the loss of land and habitat and all that means both economically and environmentally uh, for the state of Louisiana, but also for the entire Gulf of Mexico and uh, the United States. I mean, they they call it America's Delta. It is 100% true. The Mississippi River drains uh, an astonishing percentage of the continental United States. Um, And of course, we all know that. And so, on on coastal news today and ASPN, it's it's a subject that is so rich and complicated because of the amount of money that Louisiana is investing, both from the Restore Act, from federal uh, expenditures, and from the state. There are billions of dollars of of revenue going into the Louisiana shoreline, and it's hard for us here in Austin to have a front row seat and to talk about it authoritatively and. We were able to find uh, Jacques and Simone and uh, find their show, and uh, we're going to carry it on ASPN. Uh, I I think it'll be weekly. It's a great show. And so for all of you folks around the country who are wondering what's going on, I think like we are, what the heck's going on down there in Louisiana? These are the guys that can uh, keep us up to date. I, You know, coastal Louisiana is... uh, the full spectrum of what's going on across America is kind of it's a, it's a crucible for the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and to have great correspondents there that are covering this, that have the inside scoop, uh, that are they've been doing this show now for quite a while. So they've got a running head start to bring them onto the network is yeah. just really going to enhance our coverage of that area. And we know that our audience will appreciate that. Um, there's a much to learn there. In in many respects, they're like a decade ahead of other parts of the American shoreline. They are, um, and that's of course because of the investment and because of the the impending uh, calamity that is happening in, with land loss and relocating people. And I mean, these are like some of the next level questions that, uh, boy, you'd you'd shudder to to yeah. even ask out loud in in some parts of the shoreline. But down there, they have to because. Uh, yeah, it's it's a very real problem right now. Yeah, there's an outside forcing agent on the American shoreline, which is uh, shoreline change and storms that tends to get the focus of public policy people. Uh, and we respond when the conditions are unacceptably uh, scary, dangerous or expensive. And uh, Louisiana is shoreline is scary, dangerous, and expensive. It is. And that's why they're further along. The Coastal Protection Restoration Authority, the state agency that leads that effort, is uh, uh, well along in their master planning process. I think they I think they put out their fifth plan. Uh, there are billions of dollars in revenue uh, being uh, lined up and expended. Uh, the, the water 
I think it's the Water Resources Institute, the academic uh, horsepower that's being applied to studying the condition of the Louisiana coast and how to address the problems is very high. So for, for folks around the country, we look, many of us don't think, when you think of Louisiana, you don't think, gee, this is the leading state on anything. I mean, I, no offense to folks in Louisiana. I think that the, the country has a biased view against the Gulf Coast generally. Totally, totally. And, and the fact of the matter is Louisiana is the leading water resources management state uh, in, in dealing with shoreline change and sea level rise and has a track record and experience that the country can benefit from. So we, we, I, I'm just very happy to have somebody on the ground from Louisiana dealing with the issue to talk about it. They have great guests on. Uh, Jacques and Simone will be on uh, the American Shoreline podcast coming yeah. up soon. Yeah, uh, we're going to bring them on board, introduce uh, them to y'all. <laughs> yep. And uh, uh, we just, we look forward to it. It's going to be, we're going to learn a ton from them. Uh, and they're going to bring guests and just the, the, the degree of uh, the quality of content that they're going to bring on board covering that shoreline will be unlike anything we could do. Yeah. Um, so looking forward to that. Uh, we also last week we introduced the audience to Mr. Robert Frump, Bob Frump. Yeah. And uh, boy, he's just dived right in. We're recording a show with him this week uh he'll be recording his episode one of ship to shore ship to shore podcast and you know when we were talking to bob i was listening to the interview over the weekend and uh and he was talking about his investigative work at the philadelphia inquiry and here's the thing about being a podcast host is you know you're you're listening you're talking to people and you and you miss things that you should stop and say wait a minute what was the nature of the investigative report that you guys did? He spent five years on it. The team of reporters at the Philadelphia Inquirer won the Pulitzer Prize for that work, and it had to do with ship safety and the condition of uh, shipping along uh, American flag ships. And, uh, you know, I, I just think, damn it, <laughs> I should have I asked Bob. Bob, tell us about the investigative report and what you found. And, uh, you know, but he's got a show. And I'm sure we'll get to learn about that over time with uh, Bob Frump. Um, really, God, I'm just, I, you know, I'm, I'm excited about his show, and I'm so Me glad. Too. That, I'm so Me glad too. he's jumping in. Well, he's jumping in, and he's going to bring, you know, a career of of knowledge and experience to the table, but. Um, for me, <laughs> in addition to just generally being excited about learning, uh, learning about the shipping and and you know this this complex this complex world of 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 the maritime universe with with these massive um, container ships traveling around the world uh he also is really knowledgeable on something that i just find irresistible and that is shipwrecks uh <laughs> which is kind of a dark fascination but boy i mean yeah. ever since i was a kid i was fascinated by the titanic uh dr ballard going down and alvin uh and and landing on the deck, man, I, I, right. That national geographic documentary is like burned <laughs> into my mind and to have a, uh, a real life, <laughs> uh, researcher, someone who's, who's studied these, these wrecks and how they, what went wrong, kind of the forensics of, yeah. of how the event, the uh, event. And, yeah. and I think what, when he talked to us about that and wanting to do short podcasts on specific wrecks, the point of that was, 
that he made clear is there are the, these incidents and these events reveal certain practices and legal structures and policies yeah. that contribute to the outcome. And uh, uh, it's like the Jones Act, the Jones Act, uh, which requires uh, U.S. flag vessels to be built in the United States and crewed by Americans, has extended the life of American built ships in and promoted the use of unsafe ships that have resulted in accidents and death. And so it's the linkage between those incidents uh, and how we manage this particular industry on the American shoreline, which I think is going to be fascinating. I, I do. I kind of have the same idea about ships. I, I, when they find some skeleton of a, you know, an old ship in the Mediterranean or something, I actually, who doesn't? I mean, it's, it sucks you right in. It does. Yeah, there's there, a, there's where's a pure, the gold? You know, like how much stuff is in it? You know, <laughs> it's, there's a purely human uh, yeah. thing here that we are sucked out to see are that we, that we have the gall and uh, we have the gumption to even to venture out into the sea and uh, and of course we we the sea gets the best of us from time to time. Yeah. And it's they are there are it it is incredibly insightful. Not only of course from a legal and you know practice perspective uh, from the shipping world that is of course true and Bob will cover that uh, mm -hmm. in detail. But yeah. just from a human perspective, it yeah. it's gut wrenching because you know. Whether they're fishermen going out there uh, to to make money on tuna, and mm -hmm. and they're they've got a, a hole full of tuna that they got to get back, and they're going to go through the storm. Yeah. Or whether it's the pharaoh, right, uh, with the captain going out, and and the ship in the captain insists on going out, but the ship's in. It, it you you just yeah, boy the Hurricane it, Joaquin goodness, accident gracious. in twenty fifteen yeah. You know, when I was in Sitka, Alaska, a couple summers ago, um, we uh, came into Sitka by boat uh, and spent a day in the port. And like a lot of great fishing communities on the American shoreline, Gloucester, Massachusetts, yeah. or up in Sitka, there is in these small fishing towns the monument to the men who have uh, men and women who have been uh, lost their lives in the industry of fishing for the yeah. you know, and there is a great monument there and and you know we made a point to go see it and read the plaques and the stories of the people and how they were lost um but this this notion of uh, you know people who make their living on the american shoreline in the shipping and maritime trade uh is 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 such a great subject for aspn because you have to remember of course the infrastructure that supports that industry includes the management of the ports and waterway system and all of the dredging and how that affects the shoreline and beach erosion and the quality of water and the habitat and the environment all of that is wrapped up in the maritime industry um and so the, it, it 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 requires some expertise to talk about in a definitive way and uh it was a search i mean we we were looking for months to find the right person to lead that show, and it was just a you know, Bob Frump, way to go. Yeah, it's going to be killer. And of course, uh, we're bringing up, bringing on another high-profile, high-powered guest onto ASPN, Leslie Ewing. Yep, uh, who's a senior engineer at the California Coastal Commission. Yep, uh, is going to be coming on board to host a show called shore words yeah and this is going to be a coastal literature show yeah golly you know 
uh, we were talking about what was compelling about the American shoreline when we were discussing MLK's uh, influence on the United States and the public space and what draws people to the coast, uh, regardless of color and why these spaces uh, are indicative of so much about the American character. Uh, and it made me think about Leslie's show, which is, is, is going to be a show where she's interviewing writers who, who, who study and write about the American shoreline, uh, both from a fiction and a nonfiction standpoint. And, I, you know, it's the emotional connection and what we're drawn to. And I'm very interested, I, you know, when you think of a, this as a body of work, a literature, that, a coastal literature kind of show, uh, it's been written about for forever. Um, it's, of course, you can, Moby Dick, the, yeah. you know, I mean, come on. I mean, the, the, the number of great books that are about ships and shore and the sea, uh, there's a lot to learn there. It's kind of the, uh, I don't know. It's not the emotional side of it. It is the, it, it is the uh, psychological side of, of what the American shoreline represents. And uh, Leslie is uh, really excited about her show. The list of authors that she's identified already is pretty stunning. Uh, so I can't wait for her to get started and, and start, uh, the ship to shore podcast we will be bringing I mean, oops, the shore words that's system. correct Sorry, shore yes words. yes shore words leslie ewing um we later today uh we will be recording uh a show that we're going to be uh bringing to you next week so on monday yeah. uh, a week from today you will get to be introduced to leslie and learn all about this awesome coastal literature show and uh leslie's just we're what can I say, man? We're fortunate yeah. to have yeah. uh, hosts like Bob Frump, Leslie. Yeah. Um, well, Howard Marlowe show is kicking off th soon. That's correct. Another high-powered uh, uh, show. From Washington, D.C., the Waterlog podcast. We're uh, hoping we're going to have a, a quick, a, a short kind of micropod to kick off their program about the government shutdown, which, of course, is now, uh, what, 30 days? Yeah, I think we're 30. 30 days in. Um, 30, yeah. And uh, we'll be talking about that in a second. We're gonna we're gonna circle back to the shutdown, but the, you know, we, we have some DC insiders here on ASPN that are that are gonna get you in the inside scoop on, on all that federal stuff that, of course, is so important. Yeah. And uh, let's see who else we got. We have Derek Brockbank also in DC. Has got a show coming up. Dan Martin, our economist, and uh, yep. next gen waterfronts. Next gen Dan. waterfronts will be coming back online. He's got a. a a suite of, of interviews happening in the next couple of weeks. So we can uh, count on some shows coming out of that. Of course, Jenna, always active. Uh, <laughs> Jenna Valente yeah. of the Sea Change podcast. Will it's be, getting uh, so good. It's getting great. If you haven't listened yet to Danny Washington, her guest from Friday. Yeah. Highly recommend it. Danny is a, just a star in yeah. the, uh, in kind of science education, coastal, coastal. biology out mm -hmm. education and outreach. And uh, she's got a television program. And uh, she joined Jenna on that program and talked about her career and and how uh, how her advocacy uh, works. Yeah. And it's really interesting. Well, she, you know, in all of Jenna's shows, she's talking to young professionals who are entering the coastal profession in the advocacy universe uh, of nonprofits and people dedicated to the policies and the rules and the laws that govern the shoreline and how it's used. Uh, and what I really like about her show is that she's she's really exploring how people 
come to that point in their life where that becomes their focus? What have they done professionally? How? Do, what kind of educational pathway did they uh, travel? So this is for, for young professionals out there, it, either in, as, as an undergraduate or in graduate school. Uh, what I love about Jenna's show is she really talks about the decision making that went into the, to the career paths that everybody's got and what they're doing with it and why. And uh, she has become a really good uh, host as well. I think her show gets better every single time. And it it's, does. It's super good. I mean, I've fallen in love with it. I really love the Sea Change podcast. I think it's stunningly Peter, good. Uh, you wrote uh, a little blurb on Facebook about why we should all be paying attention to these advocacy stories. Share that with share that thought with. Well, okay. So you're you're. You're giving me the look of, of what what did I write? <laughs> I, I put up a lot of stuff. Yeah, on you do. Facebook <laughs> about our shows. Like, what did I write about so, that one? <laughs> you, basically, I'm going to sum it up. Yeah, you, sum it you up. Said, my memory. You said that, hey, listen, uh, you might be a coastal engineer and be wondering, why would I care oh, yeah. about hearing this kind of feminist uh, young person talk about yeah. advocacy. What does yeah. this have to do with my job as an engineer? Right. And, Take it away. And, you know, it, 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 well, it is the foundational kind of premise of, of uh, Coastal News Today and ASPN about the community of voices along the American shoreline and the advantage, I would say, necessity of being aware of the community in which you operate. So you might not be a member of an organization that's an advocacy group along the shoreline as a coastal engineer or a port operator or real estate developer. But if you want to understand how those communities overlap with your community and they will affect what you do because public decision-making processes govern the American shoreline either at the local city council level or a county commissioner, a port commission, in the state legislature and at the federal level, we talk a lot to each other in America, and we're, there are mechanisms to talk to each other, sometimes cooperatively, sometimes uh, in an adversarial posture. And I think it's, it, it builds trust. And Bob Trump and I were talking about this. I think it was with Bob. Uh, no, it was a different. It was uh, with Brad. It was Brad Warren. Brad uh, Warren, which will be another uh, yeah, another well, introduction we'll make soon. Yeah, Brad but this was he boy he he hit the nail on the head. He he was yeah Brad Warren who's up in Seattle. Uh, Healthy Oceans Coalition. Uh, I'll, let me look that up yeah, really quick. I don't, sure don't want to get that yeah, wrong. We need to get this right. But Brad Warren and I were having a long conversation about Global Ocean Health. GlobalOceanHealth.org. Uh, he's worked on coastal issues in the Pacific Northwest for a couple of decades. Uh, and we were talking about what ASPN is and what Coastal News Today is and about this idea of a community of interest and listening to people who are outside of your vertical silo of your profession or your career or your particular economic zone. And we both believe that the pressure on the American shoreline over the next 10 years from climate change and sea level rise and all of that and increasing development and economic use is going to increase the level of conflict along the American shoreline. And it's the absence of trust between these communities of interest, whether it's real estate or shipping or fisheries, commercial and recreational in the advocacy community where a lot of the problems uh, – the intensity of the problems is a reflection of the extent to which they don't know each other. 
And right. and that's what Brad was saying is he believes that if we if we can start to establish relationships between the economic interests on the American shoreline, we have a better chance of making better decisions. And I do think that's true. Right. Yeah. I mean, basically, our ability to respond to uh, the issues of our time will be contingent on our ability to get a uh, unified policy together and that will require all the voices of the of the shoreline all of the interests to be able to communicate with one another and that's really what we're trying that kind of is at, at the root of what we're trying to, to do yeah, to try to have a little deeper understanding and appreciate the point of view the motivations what yeah. happens why people see it and I, I you know it's a it's a renaissance idea it's the idea that and I do think this is true we talk about it I think that guys who work on 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 the docks and on ships are also fishermen. They're also environmentalists. They also like books. They like music. Yeah. I mean, we're complete people. We are not reducible to the economic sector in which we reside. That's true for engineers. I engineers who like to fish and, and love the environment and care about it is, I is an absolute truth. Totally. Well, and that, that's kind of, there's, there's a natural, uh, warming that can occur when you open yourself up to that. But yeah, just just from a from a strictly getting it done business perspective if you ignore or you try to shut out right the uh the advocacy community or you know mm -hmm. whichever other community that might be uh, right. rubbing up against your area right they will you you, you can't do they it they don't go away they don't go away they get louder and louder and louder right and eventually they will eat your lunch and right. uh, or make your life difficult totally uh, you know i mean the private beachfront property owners who live downdrift from a major shipping channel that is dredged or the depth of which is changed and changes the longshore sediment transport pattern and increases the amount of erosion on the downdrift beaches all the coastal engineers out there and Port operators know exactly what I'm talking about, and and the the failure to accommodate or at least acknowledge or attempt to to address the balance of interest between the real estate industry and the beachfront folks and the powerful economic value of our ports and waterway systems is it, it, I think is I would say is unforgivable. It's malpractice to to not give a damn and not work hard to understand it and figure out how to make this stuff as good as we can get um totally yeah now all that being said yeah 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 uh we are <laughs> we're michael poff our uh, our our engineer uh who hosts the podcast for building beaches better yeah uh is coming online with a with another show episode one uh, we'll be coming online soon. Just got a confirmation email from him. Did that we? I'm yeah. so glad Michael's gone. I know he's been busy as hell. We got we got his podcast tile uh, drawn up. Uh, he's yes, he's a busy man. And and look, we want to expand that coverage. We're we're expanding our coverage here at ASPN. We're, we are. We're uh, we know that that's an incredibly important uh, key part of our of our uh, coverage. It's part. It's incredibly important on the American shoreline. Yeah. Uh, and all of those engineers out there that want to hear more engineering content, we hear you, and we're going to be giving it to you. So yeah, uh, yeah. it's not it's not as though we're trying to avoid that. We're just trying to round it out. Yep. And 
you know, everybody knows who listens to the network is all of the hosts on this thing are practicing professionals. Uh, none of us are full time. I guess we kind of are trying to be yeah. full time. We're the only ones <laughs> in the news business. Uh, but it means that the schedule that uh, shows arrive is is uncertain at this point. And we're, as I like to say, we're still in spring training and figuring out how the network's going to work. Um, long term, I really like where we're headed, which is to try to have a complete community of interest uh, discussion about the American shoreline. And, you know, there's a it's a complicated, as I say all the time, a complicated space. And there's a lot going on on the American shoreline. And there's some very important voices that we are trying to gather together uh, so that listeners can take a you know, a survey of what's happening in the dialogue around the country and how problems are addressed from one community to the next uh, and maybe get some insight on how to handle things locally better. That's kind of the yeah notion. That's the notion. Well, that, okay. So, anyway. so ASPN, we got, yeah. we got some exciting <clears throat> stuff coming your way. Leslie next week, Ship to Shore coming online. And, of course, uh, Delta Dispatches with, yeah, Simone Malaz and Jackie Bear, Jackie two Bear. two wonderful hosts coming at you from the great state of Louisiana. Yep, looking uh, forward to it coming online. But we got another aspect of our <laughs> of our enterprise here, which is that we bring you the news of the American shoreline, and uh, we've got some interesting news uh, right now. Peter, tell us a little bit about the shutdown in particular. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, Coastal News Today is an aggregation website of news from the American Shoreline that the, uh, we're trying to gather uh, the latest happenings in this geographic space that fringes the, uh, the continental United States and our friends in Alaska and Hawaii. Uh, there's, a, there's a ton to, to look at, but it's hard to, if you're, le- if you're looking at the news from around the country, uh, it is hard to avoid the stories about the implication of the federal shutdown on the American shoreline. Uh, of course, it's playing out all over the place in every sector in some different way. But the the uh, the shoreline community is being affected by by the shutdown. Uh, there's a story uh, this uh, today that we that came out today about what's happening in the national seashore system, uh, particularly Cape Hatteras, but it's true in all of these federal lands, uh, the Department of the Interior and, and, the, and the U.S. Uh, Parks Service is on furlough. And it means that folks are going to the national parks and going to the national seashores without, uh, without the supervising yeah. staff. No rangers. No rangers out there. And it means that the trash isn't getting picked up. There's been some damage and vandalism all over the national park system, but in particular also at the national seashores and some some uh, citizen groups and nonprofit organizations are stepping into the fold and starting to work with the remnant staff uh federal staff to pick up the trash and clean up the bathrooms because people are still attending um it was a policy decision to try to keep the parks open i think it uh you know one of the things people hate is to have planned a vacation and planning to go to a park and spent months getting your kids ready to do it and this and that and you get there and it's closed and so they 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 really want to keep them open but uh you've got to deal with the logistics of doing that and uh, so far we're not doing that and there's implications for k patters you can read about it on coastal uh, news today in the economic sectors the 
the administration has attempted to keep the oil and gas leasing operations at the Department of the Interior and the Bureau of Offshore Energy Management going during the shutdown. And a federal judge in South Carolina ruled uh, last week that that was improper, that the government does not have the authorization to spend that money because there is no approved budget and that it's you cannot subterraneanly operate the oil and gas uh, leasing system. There's a couple of stories that you can read uh, from the industry perspective. They've got certain amount of leases and development rights that are in the pipeline that they are not immediately having to shut down uh, new oil and gas operations off the U.S. shoreline. But the industry has said if that that the that the rights to operate are starting to are going to dry up, and the implications for the oil and gas industry, and therefore the economy of many states that depend on on the oil and gas industry, like Texas, like Louisiana, uh, are going to be affected. These are big uh, implications, and I think uh, folks don't think about all of the detail and what our government does, but uh, the shutdown for oil and gas, uh, the oil and gas industry offshore can be real. Um, And then the fisheries in the fisheries community, there's an article I put up about uh, up in Alaska. Uh, You know, the National Marine Fisheries Service uh, manages the federal fisheries, the rights to fish, the inspections of ships, bef- uh, fishing boats before they go out for the season. Uh, those inspections have slowed down. They don't have the uh, staff operating. Uh, the implications for the commercial fishing industry are real. Uh, so uh, we're trying to just keep track of, of how this shutdown percolates through the system and how it's affecting the American shoreline and the lives of real people. Uh, you know, the Alaska story is really about uh, the operator of the cafe where all the fishermen hang out, and and that's her living, and nobody's coming because the fisher guys aren't aren't there. The best coastal news site in the world, coastalnewstoday.com. Go and read more. <laughs> uh, we were on the uh, government affairs call, the ASBPA government affairs call last week. Yeah, and uh, one of the one of the participants in the call mentioned that you know, uh, as 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 difficult as this shutdown is uh, for everybody involved, especially the 800,000 furloughed yeah. uh, federal workers, yeah. uh, there will be a lag in getting everything back up and running. So sure. this will have a, if they were to open the government this instant, yeah. there would be a, a lag in getting, you know, they're, they're behind schedule weeks. now. It's going to take weeks. So yeah. um, all of these issues will continue to to be uh, yeah. newsworthy and certainly we'll be covering all of those stories on coastalnewstoday.com. Uh, the other thing we want to talk about, there's some money stories. we got some money stories in the news. Well, we try to c- track the money stuff right. because so much of what happens along the American shoreline depends on gobs of money being compiled together and planned out and executed and that's for you know ports infrastructure but it's also for environmental restoration and shoreline management uh you know two billion dollars going into the port of anchorage uh modernizing the port also i think repairing some of the damage from the earthquake that occurred a couple months ago uh, but a $2 billion expenditure, the project is coming in at double the rate that the community anticipated and that the federal partners anticipated. So they've got a shortfall of somewhere in the neighborhood of a billion dollars. We'll see what happens there. Hmm. Uh, you know, we all want to have great infrastructure, but great infrastructure costs money. And can these funds be uh, 
pulled together and put in place at the right time to make those projects go forward. I think the one up in uh, the Port of Anchorage is a, is a really good one. Uh, there is a really solid editorial story out of uh, northwest Florida in the Panhandle in the Destin, Okaloosa Island area. Uh, this is an interesting one. It is. You know, there's uh, back in the day, I worked on the financial planning for these shorelines. And so I'm pretty familiar with them. But the Okaloosa Island community and the Destin uh, community are on either side of a, of a natural pass. Uh, the dredge sand that comes out of the pass is distributed between the two islands. There is a fight about it. And, man, you just want people to get together. And the amount of money they're spending on legal fees because of a cantankerous couple of people on Okaloosa Island is really kind of sad. They're in in 50000 in legal fees on their way to $100,000. they are delaying the project. Things are getting more expensive because they can't work together. And we know the shoreline needs to be managed Uh we we've put the buildings on the land we've told the ocean that you're going to be over there and we're going to be over here we've drawn the line and so you've got to manage these shorelines uh or get the hell out of the way when they start moving around uh clearly no indication that that's what's going to happen in Destin Florida or on Okaloosa Island but there the the financial dispute between the the between the communities on either side of the pass is Unfortunate. Um, it looks like they're making some progress. A good editorial from the local paper there would be interesting. And look, it, it's another example where I'm not saying that everybody in the world has to care about Destin and Okaloosa Island. What they can care about, and I think you can find, is what causes the disputes? Where, how is right. it being resolved? How would that apply to me? How do we avoid that situation? That's wherever wherever you've got a, a, a passage or a, you know, a, a a place where you have a recurrent sand source, uh, you you can bet your boots that both sides of that thing are going to want some of that. You bet. It's <laughs> happening in Oak Island. Uh, well, Bald it Head Island. It happens everywhere. Bald Head Island and Oak Island, North Carolina are in a long-running uh, yeah. discussion, I where, would say. Where is it going to go? Where is it going to go and who gets the cheap sand? Yeah, and, uh, totally. Uh, so the financial underpinnings of the American shoreline are something we try to track on Coastal News today. And... Uh, yeah, there's some good stories up tell, there. Tell me about this uh, gas tax story. Yeah, well, you know, uh, they're trying to, in Florida, there's, they're, they're trying to figure out how to pump more money into the shoreline management program, and they're looking at possibly directing some of the gas taxes toward that end. Um, it is uh, a, going to be very controversial. Gas taxes go to the transportation highway road system. Uh, shifting some of those revenues to the shoreline, I'm sure, will will spark some interest on the part of the contractors and the road advocates and all of those, because that's a real need. Um, and so we, we want to put up what states are trying to do to bring money to the shoreline. Yeah, kind of a new source. A new source. I can tell you, I'm a, I am not a particular fan of peeling money off of those dedicated revenue streams that have an, a community and a, and a clear need. Um, I... My personal bias is the place to go for revenues for shoreline management is the hotel occupancy taxes and accommodation taxes, uh, millions of dollars of which are deflected into, and no offense to all you TDC people, the guys that do the tourist development councils and yeah. and those folks who, who- Promotion. Promotion. Who spend- Hugely important. Hugely important. Spend a lot of money on, on uh, engagement with the public to promote, you know, you can- here in Austin, Texas, we, we get their ads. Area. Their we, area. 
we get ads for you know beach towns in North Carolina and Florida here. They've got a lot of money to spend. Here's my point of view. There is an amount of money that is warranted for the promotion of, of tourism in your area. There's no doubt about it. Let's just say hypothetically it's a million dollars. And what happens is because these institutions are funded through property taxes typically or hotel occupancy taxes, as the economy grows and as visitorship increases, the budget for the advertising uh, budget grows every year. It can grow by 15% in a year. And I can tell you, it, here's the thing. At what point do you have enough money to say Surf City, North Carolina is a damn cool beach and you ought to come here? I mean, do you need a million five? Does it, it, should it be capped and the revenue go to the actual feature right. that you're trying to sell? And well, I'm, let's, I'm let's, not trying to defund them. I'm saying the growth rate in, in tourist development expenditures in my opinion, is, uh, I don't want to say scandalous. It's too hard a word, but yeah. it is unwarranted, right. and it needs to be rethought, and the American shoreline needs revenue that is generated from the visitors. That's what hotel And, and some of this is happening. I want to turn your attention uh, some of to a happening. different story. In New Jersey, they've, they've, uh, there's a new tax on the tourism industry. Yeah. And um, this would this would include Airbnbs. It's a bed tax. You know? Yeah, it's a it's bed a, tax. And uh, there's con there's concern among people in New Jersey that this is going to, in of course, the tax gets built into the price of your Airbnbs. When you go and you stay in an Airbnb and, uh, uh, you know, Ocean Beach or whatever in New Jersey, you're going to get yeah. a, uh, you're going to, it's going to be built into your fee that you're going to pay. Yep. And that means that you're the, in New Jersey now, Airbnbs will be a little bit more expensive. Right. And there's some concern that that's going to drive uh, people, folks away, away to, to less expensive alternative yeah. destinations. Well, the peer-to-peer -peer rental industry along the American shoreline, Airbnb, HomeAway, VBRO, is that it? VB yeah. VRBO? Vacation Rental by Owner. VRBO. VRBO. Uh, those organizations uh, have become a massive economic player in beach communities all over the country and uh, local governments are struggling with how to manage that it changes the character of the town I think as you and I've talked about and uh, oh yeah with Dan Martin had a, a detailed conversation about how it changes the use of the community the character of the town that kind of thing but financially uh, the hotel occupancy taxes are collected traditionally on, you know, the Holiday Inn down at the beach. And it was real easy and they could keep track of it. And this new industry is somewhat out of the system. There are tremendous debates going on on the American shoreline about how to uh, address the growth of peer-to-peer -peer renting along the American shoreline. The I think the California referendum we covered earlier. Yes. Uh, was that, right. What town was that in? Oceanside, o I believe. Oceanside, California. I think so. Uh, and what's happening in New Jersey and how the rates should be and the equalization of the rates. In, and in Hawaii, I, I just learned this, in Hawaii, you can't – short. I believe there's a complete moratorium really? on short-term rentals. I think you, there's a minimum of – there's some minimum. I can't – I'm, I'm, I'm not prepared to cite – what the terms are yeah but you know across the country yeah this is be there are there is now uh regulation starting to come online to uh kind of rain rain these short-term rentals back in for a number of reasons that's mm -hmm. that you just mentioned yeah 
and and uh, you know for where we were working in in uh, Charlotte County, Florida, on the shoreline management program, uh, the amount of money that is going into the funds developed from short-term uh, rental income is growing. And it is a, to me, it is a perfect source to consider for shoreline management because it is tied to visitorship, because the condition of the beach is what drives uh, a lot of the shorefront rental market, that there is a one-to-one relationship. It is a pass-through. I do think there are issues of equity and how it relates to the adjoining jurisdictions and what everybody's doing. There's some complexity to it. And there are uses of this revenue now, of course. However... Uh, in communities that we've successfully put together financial strategies in, in North Carolina, this revenue stream is a cornerstone piece. Uh, it's commonly used in, in Florida. It is not used much in, well, I shouldn't say it's not used much in Texas. There are, there, there are allocated shares of uh, hotel occupancy tax revenues in Texas to the shoreline, but they're puny. Uh, puny (laughs) and and it needs to be bigger but anyway all of that is about the financial world Um, we talked about that with uh, with Phil Roars from Virginia Beach on the local control podcast uh, last week about their financial strategies uh, which does include a significant contribution from their hotel occupancy and boy are they are they a well-funded operation they're doing a great job they've got it down Well, uh, you can catch all these stories and many more on CoastalNewsToday.com, the best coastal news site in the world. Um, (laughs) Let's see, Peter, do you have any any closers, any any last remarks here? Well, you know, I want to thank uh, the people who sponsor us and the listenership out there. It's kind of encouraging to see the podcast network growing, both in terms of our hosts and our content and our listenership. Uh, We are a subscription-based, but we don't charge for access to the information we produce. Uh, So we need you to sign up out there and follow us on Facebook, on Coastal News Today and ASPN. Twitter. Twitter. Instagram. Instagram at at Coastal365. That's correct. Is our our Twitter Yeah, This is is what we need y'all to do. Um, First of all, buy an ad. That would be really helpful for us. We yeah. we have ad space available. We can talk about your your firm here on on this podcast across the entire network. Uh, you'll get great exposure. We have thousands of listeners. Uh, just a great way to build your brand out. Um, I need you to uh, go ahead and subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends. Rate and review it. Yeah. And go into Apple Pods and give us five stars or whatever you think we're we're worth. And give us a, a nice review. That really helps us out. Uh, and then if you don't get our daily email blast, go ahead and subscribe to that. Peter's doing an amazing job. This is a dat Every morning, five days a week, you're going to get an email uh, that Peter puts together with the with selected curated news stories. That this is how you know what's going on in the American shoreline. Um, and, of course, go to CoastalNewsToday.com. It's an, it's an awesome website. We're really proud of it. Uh, we've got a... Many more exciting plans. We're just getting started, as Peter said. But uh, help us out and uh, be a part of Coastal News Today and ASPN. Yeah. And uh, so, Tyler, it's been great putting this show together from MLK Day. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think the the uh, the atonement that the country 
eventually will have to do is to is to ask for forgiveness for some of the historic decisions we've made as a country. And uh, MLK was, a, of course, was the spearhead of bringing those issues to the attention of of uh, all the citizens in the country. Uh, and and it was a hard hard work, still going, uh, necessary. I I you know it takes a lot of courage to be an American. And what what I mean by that is. If you believe in the rights that are in the Constitution and you believe that those rights ought to be available to everybody in the United States, you have to work to make that happen. It takes a lot of guts and courage to uh, be open to the communities in this country, and uh, it's something that makes us all better, I believe. And uh, so on this MLK Day, uh, Tyler, uh, it's great to, as you say, take a pause and to reflect on on the path we have been down and, and the path we have in front of us uh, still to go. Absolutely. Uh, have a great MLK Day, everybody. Catch you next time on the American Shoreline Podcast on ASPN. The beaches is set